Lord, this is a uh, wonderful prayer, a prayer of expectation and anticipation that somehow when we draw near to you, when we give ourselves to you, that a bit of heaven can come to earth. And we're praying for this, Lord. We're working for this, that the will of God as already done in heaven might increasingly be fulfilled here on this earth. And Lord, thank you that we are privileged to be part of that, the outworking of your will, the displaying of your character, the glorifying of your name. Bless our time, Lord, as we turn to your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Did you have a good Christmas? How many of you enjoyed a white Christmas? Pretty cool, huh? I missed it. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles with my family, and uh, we had a good time, but man, the weather was like 70 degrees and sunny. Uh, so... Bummer, bummer, right? We, we totally missed that whole white Christmas thing, but I'm glad many of you got to enjoy it, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, we had some good time visiting with uh, some uh, family members. My family and part of my wife's family is also down in Southern California, so had a good time, but uh, really glad to be here. Well, one of the cool things that, got, that happened when I was in Los Angeles was I got to go and worship at the church that I grew up in. It used to be called San Fernando Holiness Church. It's now called... Crossway Community Church or something like that. I know it's called Crossway. I don't, I don't know the rest of it. But it was really cool. I mean, I can go to that church and there are still people there who were my Sunday school teachers when I was growing up in that church. And uh, uh, really fun to be there and uh, recall some of those old days when I was in youth group in the, in the church and uh, where I got baptized and all of that. So anyway, it was good, good to be there, but, but this is really my favorite church, Lighthouse Christian Church, Bellevue, Washington. Glad to be here, glad you're here. And, um, you know, today I want to talk a little bit about uh, this idea about surprise by hope. You know, we've been talking this month about Jesus changes everything, and I think this is one of the real significant things that happens is that when we uh, come to know Jesus, we find a whole new perspective on hope so we're calling this message Surprised by Hope. And I want you to think about this. Now, we, you know this story. When Jesus was born, an angel appeared to shepherds, right, who were watching their sheep in a field nearby. And the angel made this incredible announcement to frightened shepherds. The angel said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, that would be Bethlehem, right, a Savior is born has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, or the Christ. He is Christ the Lord. So that's good news, and that's a lot of what we've been celebrating during this, this month has been the good news of the coming of Jesus. And today, we crave that. We crave good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Uh, <clears throat> I was watching the news last night, and um, although we think it's cold here, we know that much of the country is suffering incredible uh, freezing weather, and <clears throat> interestingly, uh, this thing I was watching last night, it was talking about how uh, they're preparing now for tonight, Times Square, and you know, what thousands, and maybe a million people traditionally gather in Times Square on New Year's Eve, and celebrating, and hearing music, and waiting for that ball to drop at midnight, and all that, right? And so even though tonight, I, I, it's supposed to be 11 degrees in New York City tonight, 
and yet they're still expecting like thousands and thousands of people to be out there. And you know what I was thinking? That's how hungry people are for celebration, for good news. We're craving good news, and, and people that are um, really hungry for good news, you know, we kind of look to celebrate New Year's as kind of like new beginnings, new hope, and uh, whatever regrets from the past, we can leave it behind, we can launch together into a, a new beginning. And so I get that. Uh, we know sometimes that's just a, a naive optimism to think that a new year can really bring a new life and, and significant change. But I want you to think about this. Where are people hungry for good news? And especially for good news of great joy. And especially good news that's available to all people. But good news in, is in short supply. We've heard much this year about natural disasters, about hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and about uh, fires that are devastating thousands of acres and destroying hundreds of homes and famine and disease and, and we know all of that. Not only that, but beyond natural disasters, we have what, what we used to call man's hum inhumanity to man. Do people still use that term? You know what that's about, right? Man's inhumanity to man. Uh, the evil and the suffering that people inflict on one another. And daily we hear evidence of, of that, of man's inhumanity to man. Uh, exploitation of the poor, refugees forced from their homelands, outbreaks of violence against innocent people, wars and rumors of war, ethnic bigotry and hostilities, the scourge of human trafficking. I understand that there's still about 40 million people worldwide that are in the bondage of slavery, uh, acts of terrorism. In fact, I, I was reading this, Somebody, some writer said this, he said, Unlike any previous generation, unlike any previous generation, we have, in our day, constant access to bad news. Isn't that right? And through the internet and through the media and all that. We have constant access to bad news, news that produces fear and anxiety, discouragement and despair. Can we really believe there's good news of great joy for all people? Where can hope be found? Now, I want to say this, and I know many of you know this, but I want to affirm this, and I want to declare this today, that hope can be found in the one whose birth we've been celebrating this month. When we acknowledge him, Jesus, when we seek him, when we search for him and find him, when we know him, when we abide in him, when we follow him, when we put our trust in him, when we invite him into our lives, when we receive him, we find ourselves surprised by hope because he makes all the difference in the world. Now, what I want to do today and in, in the, the minutes we have here together is I want to talk about uh, why do we really have hope? And it's not because, you know, the, the date is going to change and we enter into 2018 in a, in a few hours. Why do we really have hope? And uh, I want to say, first of all, that hope is alive because God is for us. If there's one thing that I think we learn from Christmas, it's that God is for us. He has not abandoned us. He has not written us off. Uh, the, when the angels spoke to the shepherds uh, that first Christmas, they said, unto you is born this day a Savior, right? 
And to us, some of us, we've heard that so much that, that it doesn't really strike us. But I want you to think about who that was spoken to. That was spoken to shepherds, who in their society were very ordinary people. Some people considered them kind of like the riffraff of society. They weren't acceptable company. They weren't high status. They weren't wealthy. Actually, they were, they were fairly poor. But not only uh, poor financially, but they weren't well respected in, uh, in good society. In fact, did you know this, that shepherds could not uh, serve as witnesses in a court of law? Because they were viewed as unreliable. Sometimes people viewed them as people who, who often steal from their owners. And they don't own the sheep, but they take care of the sheep. But, but uh, shepherds did not have a very good uh, reputation. They weren't really that socially acceptable. And of course, they smelled like sheep, which is natural given their vocation. So I want you to think about this. This is really a, a surprising, amazing, unexpected event. That when the angel, the messenger from heaven, comes to announce the birth of the Savior of the world, that the message first comes to shepherds. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And I think it's so significant, and and I don't want us to miss this uh, during this Christmas season, that I think this pronouncement to these shepherds is kind of like maybe God's way of telling us we're all welcome. We're all included. You don't have to be, you know, wealthy, religious, respected, you don't have to be prominent, you don't have to be popular, that this message is unto you, for you, and it's for everyone. So that's the first thing I want to say is hope, hope is alive because God is for us. Jesus came for you. And uh, let me read these verses. This is from John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Listen to this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, I love this about God. He doesn't just stand off in the distance and say, I love you, love you guys. You know, but he loves so much that he takes action. He draws near. His love is expressed in giving, like love should be, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, and he gave the most precious thing, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is a good word that the word whoever is in there. Whoever, it's like God is throwing wide open the, da- the gates and saying, anybody. You know, you may be religious or not, you know, but whoever believes in him, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, place their faith in him, you're welcome. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever, any one of us, believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in the Bible, eternal life doesn't, it's not just life after death. You know when eternal life begins? Eternal life begins when you come to know the life giver. When you come to know Jesus, the one who came to give life, give his life for us so that he could live life with us. And when you come to know him, your eternal life begins. It's not going to be interrupted by your physical death. So, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, we know that verse, John 3, 16. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, or at least one of them. But do you know John 3, 17, the next verse? John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I'll tell you why that, why that strikes me today. Some people, they, they just think, oh, God's down on me. God, God must not like me. It seems like God loves other people, but I don't think God could love me. And uh, some people feel like God 
is condemning them. It's like they picture God like God's up there playing some cosmic game of gotcha, you know, looking for you to do something wrong, and then he catches you and he goes, gotcha. And, and some, you know, some of us, we have this view that, that God is harsh, maybe angry, uh, that he's condemning us, judging us. And so we need to hear this word. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is for you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, through Jesus. Uh, verse 18 says, whoever believes in him. Again, that's a good news word, whoever. Whoever, you're all welcome. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now, I, I want to call a little time out here. I want, I want to comment on this because some people, they, they read that and think, well, wait a minute, some people are condemned. Now, here's the picture in the biblical worldview that, that we're given is that humanity as a whole, the human race as a whole, is fallen, which means we have, we have, through our own selfishness and sinful rebellion, our own failures, we have uh, broken our relationship with our Creator. So that's our, uh, quote, natural state. That's our normal state. Is, it's not what God intended, but that's the, the way of the world. We we're, we're have us alienated from our Creator God. And as such, we're separated not only from him, but from the life that he gives. So sometimes the, the Bible calls that the wrath of God. Sometimes it calls it condemnation. But it's saying that's where we were. Now, the good news is whoever wants to get out from under that can. The good news is whoever wants to, to be delivered can be delivered. And so I want us to see this. Verse 18 again says, whoever believes in him, I mean, yeah, verse 18, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, the Son of God, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In other words, it's like God is saying, okay, I know that the human race is broken. I know the world is broken. I know people are not experiencing the kind of relationship uh, with me, with God, that, that I intended and that I created them for. I know that people are suffering from alienation not only from their creator but from one another. I know there's a lot of uh, selfishness and dysfunction and addiction and all of that. But here's God saying, but I'm not content with that. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. And I don't want that to continue on. And so God takes initiative and God comes to us. This is why we celebrate the coming of Jesus. It's like God saying, you know what, I am for you. And I'm going to demonstrate that by sending my son Jesus to live with you, to live for you, for your sake. Uh, he's the only one who lived a perfect sinless life. And then to die for you so that you can be forgiven of your sins, cleansed of your sin, and reconciled with your creator. And you can begin to live into that relationship for which God made us when he created us. Right? So this is good news. In fact, in John 3, verse 36... It says this, whoever believes in the Son, that is in Jesus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, right? Remember I said eternal life doesn't begin after you die. If you believe in the Son, if you place your trust in Jesus, you have eternal life now. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son, rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on, on them. And this is why sometimes we feel like, oh, life's not working right. You know, before I knew the Lord... I used to have this uh, thing that haunted me. I didn't really tell anybody about it at the time. This thing that haunted me was that life felt empty. 
I didn't have any huge problems. There was no crises in my life. I didn't come from a dysfunctional family or anything. But, but when I was really honest with myself, usually when I'm alone at night, I just felt like, you know, life is empty and it's meaningless and I don't know why we're here and, and is there any purpose? And sometimes I would say to myself, there's got to be more to life. Now, where did that come from? I mean, if all I am is the result of the accidental collisions of atoms and molecules, then there is no purpose or meaning to life. There is no right or wrong. There's no such thing as morality. All of that is an illusion, right? But there was something in me that said, no, you know, there's got to be more to life. I, I have this sense in me that, that we were created for something more. And, and the very fact that we hunger for meaning, I think, is a clue that we were created for meaning. Otherwise, we wouldn't even know that it's missing, right? So this is what I want to say about this is that there's, a, there's an emptiness. Some, one, one writer called it, he says, there's a void in our lives. And uh, it's a God-shaped void. It, we try to fill that void, that emptiness, with all kinds of stuff, you know. But, but actually, we still feel empty because that God-shaped void can only be filled by God himself. Which means he has made us for himself. And our hearts are ever restless until they find their rest in him and their peace with God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Now, some people feel like God is out to get them. But I want you to think, this, think about this. No one wants what's best for you more than God. He's not out to get you. He's for you. Uh, when Jesus met people, uh, sometimes the first thing he would say, sometimes the first thing he had to say is don't be afraid. But often when Jesus met people, he would say this. He would ask them a question. And the question is this. What do you want me to do for you? Right? Maybe it was somebody who was blind or someone who was lame. And, and, and Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? Because he's for you. Uh, when Jesus instituted communion, what we call the Lord's Supper, uh, he turned to his followers. He said, this is my body which is given for you. And then after supper, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of, my new co of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So, so I don't know what your background is, but if, you, if you've gone through life thinking, oh, God is out to get me or God doesn't really care for me or, or God, is, God is mad at me or something, I want you to see this, that God is for you and he's demonstrated that over and over again. You know what the Apostle Paul said when he wrote the book of Romans? He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you do have people that are against you, perhaps people who, you know, devalue you. Maybe somebody who is... Uh, abusive to you or has been abusive to you maybe somebody who has abandoned you and, and we might project that onto God but you know God's not like that and if God is for us who can be against us what matters most is that God is for us God loves the world so much that he gave his son God loves the world so much that he gave his son to save us right the son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world but that we might be saved through him uh, one of the things that Jesus said, I love this. One time Jesus was hanging out with, uh, as he often did, hanging out with people that were not respectable members of society. Uh, they were not upstanding. They were not that moral. He's hanging out with them. And the religious folks get very uh, cynical and very critical. It's like, why does Jesus hang out with the, you know, the riffraff, with the nobodies, with the good-for-nothing kind of people? 
And, and you know what Jesus said? Jesus said this, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have not come for, like, like a doctor, I, I haven't come for those who are healthy, I've come for those who are sick. I have come to seek and to save the lost. And, you know, and, and if that's you, you know, the broken, the hurting, the dysfunctional, the addicted, it's like Jesus says, I've come for you to seek and to save the lost. And I've come to give you life, eternal life, God-given life, the life that only God can give and the life that God planned for you before you were created. So hope is alive because God is for us. And that's good news. And we ought to celebrate that, don't you think? Secondly, God is, hope is alive because God is not only for us, but God is with us. God is with us. Sometimes babies are given uh, two or three middle names, and sometimes it's to honor relatives, and we want to make sure that we get the rich uncle's name in there or something like that. Uh, but God commanded that Jesus would be given several names in order to explain his purpose for coming to earth. So think about some of the names that Jesus was given. He was called Wonderful Savior. He was called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He also was called the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, which means the Anointed One of God. He was called the Lord. Now, another one of Jesus' names that he was given was he was called Emmanuel. You know that word, Emmanuel? Emmanuel means God with us. See, when, when Jesus would approach people, he would say, you don't have to be afraid. God is for you, and God is with you. And, you know, it, I think if there's one thing that's going to really rob us of hope and of peace, it's going to be fear. And there's a lot of things to be afraid of, right? But with Jesus, you lose your fear when you know God is near. He's for you, but in Jesus, he's also with you. And sometimes we're just going to have to choose. Are we going to live in fear and insecurity and anxiety? Are we going to go through life fretting and fearing? Or are we going to trust God? See, this, I really believe this. The closer you get to Jesus, the, the closer you live with him, the more you know him, the less anxiety you're going to have, the more peace you're going to have. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't have any problems, but it means, you know, I shall not be overcome by my problems. I shall not live in worry and fear and anxiety all of my days. Because God's presence trumps panic. Because you lose your fear when you know God is near. So hope is alive because God is with us. You may have been abandoned or felt abandoned. Or you may be afraid of being abandoned or ending up alone. And everybody has faced the, the pain of rejection in some way at some point. Uh, you might have experienced the sting of ethnic prejudice or gender discrimination or religious intolerance, which seems to be on the rise. Uh, and, and, and if that's so, I, I don't want to minimize that. I'm really sorry for the pain that you've experienced. But never project that onto God. Because others have hurt you or devalued you or used you or abused you. Never project that into God. Because God is for you and God is with, it, with you. He's never abandoned you. In fact, one of the promises uh, God makes, this is in Hebrews 13. He says, 
I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. So if you feel far from God, guess who moved? I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Uh, one of the things Jesus said to his disciples is he says, uh, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We can have hope because God is for us, but also uh, God is with us. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, or one of my favorite passages, is sometimes called the Shepherd's Psalm. Do you know the Shepherd's Psalm? It's Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. But there's a line in there that says, talking about, you know, how God is our good shepherd and the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need. And he watches over me and he leads me and he guides me. And then there's this line that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know that verse? Even though, or even if, or even when I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or some translations translated, even when I'm walking through the darkest valley, and we're all going to go through some dark valleys, even at that point when it's kind of like all hope is abandoned, I will not fear, I fear no evil, because God is with me. And the nearness of God is what drives away fear. You don't have to be afraid because he'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. So that means there's always room for hope. There's not always hope in the situation, but there's always hope in the Lord. I think it was Thomas Merton who said, Christian hope begins when all other hope comes to an end. And that's when Christian hope really kicks in, when all other hopes come to an end. So hope is alive because God is for us, and hope is alive because God is with us. Uh, one time, uh, I've, been, I've been in Israel a couple of times, and some of us are going to go again uh, this spring. But um, one of the things that was real memorable to me about Israel, and it wasn't one of the tourist places, uh, I was, I don't know why, but I was uh, by myself for the afternoon, or at least part of the afternoon, and I was in the old city of Jerusalem. And I was just kind of wandering around, checking out things, and I, I wandered into this church. It's an old church. It's hundreds of years old. It's a Lutheran church called, uh, I forget, Redeemer Church or something like that, Redeemer Lutheran Church. But uh, it's in the old city of Jerusalem. And I'm just poking around in there. Nobody's in the church. There's no service going on, but the, the doors are open, so I'm just poking around in there. And uh, it, it's an operating church today, so they have, like we have, they have literature in the back. So I'm just looking through the literature, and some of it is, is in English. A lot of it's in English. And uh, I, I took a bookmark from there. I think it was free. I hope it was because I took it. Anyway, I, I still have that. It's been over 20 years since I first got it. I still have that bookmark because it, it's very precious to me. And these are the words on that bookmark. It says this, Always live in the knowledge that Jesus is present. The assurance of his presence will change everything and your sadness will disappear. And I love that. Always live in the knowledge that Jesus is present. The assurance of his presence will change everything and your sadness will disappear. We know something of fear and worry and anxiety and dread and regret. I don't want to minimize that. But we don't have to live in that. We don't have to dwell in it. And we certainly don't have to 
let our lives be controlled by it. You know why? Because God is with us. And God is for us. Always live in the knowledge that Jesus is present. The assurance of his presence will change everything. And your sadness will disappear. God is with us and God is for us. Let me mention one more thing. Hope is alive also because God is renewing us. God is changing us. God has plans for us. Let me read you a couple of great verses in Romans chapter 12. Now, in the first half of Romans, the book of Romans, it's a lot of great theology and it's a lot about the sorrowful plight of humankind apart from God and how we got in that mess. And, and then it talks about redemption and salvation and how God acted and initiated to, to put us into a right relationship with him. And then when you get to chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, uh, the opening verses talk about God's mercy. It says, in view of God's mercy, which we've been reading about for 11 chapters now, uh, in view of God's mercy and how he loves us and how he's committed to us and his compassion for us, uh, in view of God's mercy, we're called to make a response. Here's what it says, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you join us on Sundays. We are here to worship God corporately, but this is not the full extent of our worship. I think we ought to be worshiping God daily. You know, with others, but often just alone too. But the essence of worship is this. The essence of worship is not singing, although that's an important expression of worship, or giving our offering, that's also an important expression of our worship. But the essence of worship is receiving God's revelation, whether it's through his word or through a sermon or a message or through a song or uh, just through spending time quietly before him. But you receive God's revelation. He wants to communicate with you. And then you respond to his revelation. That's the essence of worship. You receive his revelation, and then you respond to it. Now, here's the response we're called for. In view of God's mercy and how much he's committed to you, and how much he's done for you, and how much he loves you, and how he's always with you, and how much his, he's given for you, especially the life of his son, uh, his body broken, his blood shed. In view of God's mercy, <clears throat> you respond. Offer up yourself as a living sacrifice. And don't come crawling off the altar. You know, a dead sacrifice, it's just there on the altar. But you're a living sacrifice, which means I've got to live day by day with him and for him. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's what true worship is. That's your true and proper worship. Okay, now, the next verse, Hebrew, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, and do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. See, I, I think one of the reasons that people often get spiritually stalled and stuck is because they're too conformed to the world. I mean, we've all been there. But there are times where God's ways and the world's ways are just divergent, right? We've got to decide who we're living for and what we're living for and what's most important. Uh, one man, Bob Buford, in his book called Halftime, he describes it this way. Uh, he was going through a big crisis in his life, not, not big troubles, but trying to decide what to do with the rest of his life. He was a Christian. He was a very successful businessman. He was very wealthy. And he was trying to figure out how to, to move in the second half of his life from success 
to significance. So he went to go see a, a, a counselor, a kind of a, a guide, and, and uh, this man told him, you know, your problem, Bob, you've got to decide what's in your box. <clears throat> and he said, well, what do you mean? And, and the idea is this. Like at the very center of your life, at the very core of who you are, imagine that there's a box there and there's one thing in your life that is most central, that is the highest priority. And, and his friend said to Bob Buford, he says, you've got to decide what's in your box. And is it going to, is it going to be God or is it going to be money in his case? And so he had to wrestle with that because, you know, he was very wealthy and uh, he was using a lot of his money for good. But he's got to decide what is of ultimate importance? What's of ultimate loyalty? What's the thing around which everything else is going to revolve in my priorities and my scheduling and my decision making? And so he had to decide and, and ultimately he decided that God's going to be in his box and that God's going to be at the very center of his life. And it began to affect and change him. Yeah, he didn't immediately sell his businesses. He didn't give away all his money, but uh, it changed the trajectory of his life, and Bob Buford has been mightily, powerfully used by the Lord ever since. But I, I want you to think about this. <clears throat> you may be a Christian, I hope you are, and you know that you've got Jesus in your life, and you know that he's part of your life, but we still have to maybe answer this question, what's in your box? What's at the very center of central importance, of absolute necessity? What's the thing that's going to govern the decisions you make, the values that you hold, the lifestyle that you adopt. And, and each of us, we're going to have to decide what's in that box. Now, here's what Jesus would say. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will be taken care of. Right? Everything else shall be added unto you. Here's what Jesus would say. The most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So I think we've got to decide this, and here's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 12. He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, and don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Some of us, we want to know God's will. God, what is your will? Just show me your will, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it or not, Right? Well, well, that's not really submission to God. That, that's just trying to use and manipulate God. Like, God, you're one of my options. Present your options. State your case. And then I'm really the master of my fate. I'm going to decide if, I'm, if, if your will is worth following or not. And does it surprise us that God doesn't usually reveal his will to people that are taking that stance? Well, like, why should he, right? Uh, I need to be able to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I belong to you. I'm a living sacrifice. My life belongs to you. It's in your hands, and I'm going to spend the rest of my days following you. Now, Lord, would you please show me what you want me to do? Should I move or should I stay where I am? Should I change careers or stay where I am? Should I go back to school? Should I get married? You know, all, everything else begins to uh, be lived from that center. And if Jesus is at the center, then the circumference will take care of itself, right? You take care of the things that are on God's heart, and God will take care of the things on your heart. So here's what he's saying. Hope is alive because God is renewing us. And how does God renew us? Well, first of all, give yourself completely to God. Have you offered up your life as a living sacrifice continually? And then stop trying to conform to this world. And then let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. 
I do believe this. God wants to do a transforming work in all of us. In fact, the Bible says he wants to conform us into the image of his son, that we would uh, live like Jesus, uh, that we, we would be Christ-like persons. They're called Christians. That we would be the light of the world, that we would be the salt of the earth. He wants to transform us, change us, so that we increasingly reflect the image and likeness of Jesus. Uh, a man named Adam Hamilton, he's a pastor, he wrote this book called The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem. And he talks about the way that, some ways that God transforms people. He says, Jesus saves us from guilt and shame, from hopelessness and despair, from fear and death. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoners free. You'll recognize those song lyrics, some of you. And then Adam Hamilton says this, I have watched him, I have watched Jesus save addicts from their addictions and give them new life. I have seen him save men and women from being self-absorbed, resentful, bitter, angry, and transform them into people who live with freedom, with hope, with joy. He came to save us from the brokenness of our shared human condition, he came to deliver us. He came to, to lead us and send us out in his name to bring healing and hope to the world. This is what's really significant about Christmas. It's not just celebrating the birth of a baby born in the manger. It's that in Jesus, God has come to us so that we could know him, yes, but so also that we could love him and become like him and serve him. And as we offer ourselves to him, he wants to transform us. It starts with our mind, with our thinking, you know, what we value, what we prize, what we're living for. And th through the renewing of our mind, God begins to change us. Is it going to be easy? Probably not easy. It's going to be costly. And it's going to mean sometimes that we, we will endure some difficult things. But if you only follow Jesus when it's comfortable and when it's convenient, then can you really call him Lord? You know, we're just like the puppet master and he's our puppet. Many years ago, I read this poem called Christmas Trees and Strawberry Summers. It's written by uh, uh, the, the late author Ann Weems. And I've always loved it because to me it talks about uh, things that we love about Christianity and the Christian life and Christian traditions and, and Christmas traditions and all of that. But also what happens when we get to understand the deeper implications for our discipleship. I want you to hear this, uh, this poem. It's called Christmas Trees and Strawberry Summers. And we're going to have uh, Juliet Yamani come and read it for us. really like is a life of Christmas trees and strawberry summers. A walk through the zoo with a pocket full of bubblegum and a string of balloons. I say yes to blueberry mornings and carefree days with rainbow endings. I keep the world in springtime and the morning glories blooming. But life is more than birthday parties. Life is more than candied apples. 
I'd rather hear the singing than the weeping. I'd rather see the healing than the violence. I'd rather feel the pleasure than the pain. I'd rather know security than fear. I'd like to keep the cotton candy coming, but life is more than fingers crossed. Life is more than wishing. Christ said, follow me. And of course, I'd rather not. I'd rather pretend that doesn't include me. I'd rather sit by the fire and make excuses. I'd rather look the other way, not answer the phone, and be too busy to read the paper. But I said yes, and that means risk. It means here I am, ready or not. Christmas trees and strawberry summers, you're what I like, and you are real. But so are hunger and misery and hate-filled faces. So is confrontation. So is injustice. Discipleship means sometimes it's going to rain in my face. But when you've been blind and now you see, when you've been deaf and now you hear, when you've never understood and now you know, once you know who God calls you to be, you're not content with sitting in corners. There's got to be some hallelujah shouting, some speaking out, some standing up, some caring, some sharing, some community, some risk. Discipleship means living what you know. Discipleship means thank you, Lord, for Christmas trees and strawberry summers and even for rain in my face. Thank you, Juliet. With the coming of Jesus, we're surprised by hope. And like that first Christmas, the angels came to announce his birth and the way that now God was doing something new in the world. I think in a sense, we're, you and me, we're called to be angels. Now, angels play a prominent role in the Christmas narratives. But you know the word angel, it just means messenger. The angels were messengers of God. They were servants of God uh, sent to earth to do his bidding and to carry out his will. And we now are to be his messengers. Uh, we are to, to live as he expects us to live, to do what he calls us to do. Uh, we are God's ministering angels, as well as the angels. Uh, we are God's ministering agents. We are God's servants. We're called to announce the good news of Jesus Christ, just like the angels did at that first Christmas. We are called to offer God's peace to a world in turmoil. One of the things that Jesus said is, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When you make peace, whether it's in your workplace or in your family, or when you try to promote peace among peoples who are uh, 
in hostility, when you play the role of a peacemaker, you're acting like a child of God. You're imitating your Father, the God of all peace. And we, like the angels, are called to glorify God, to give glory to God and to sing His praises. We'll have an opportunity to do that, of course, in a few minutes, to sing His praises again. But we are called to be like the angels who our ultimate mission is to glorify God, to reveal Him, to enhance His tarnished reputation, to put the spotlight on Him, to help people to come to know Him and love Him and serve Him. And we're called to offer hope and help. We're called to serve other people in Jesus' name. We are called to be messengers of hope who hold out hope for others until they can grasp it for themselves. There's a local pastor, author named uh, Richard Dahlstrom, and he wrote this wonderful book about justice and compassion. It's called The Colors of Hope. And in that book, he says this, Our world is filled with people who are, anonymously and without accolade, bringing food to the hungry and water to the thirsty, hospitality and shelter to the stranger, who are bringing education to the ignorant, healing to the sick, justice to the oppressed, protection to the vulnerable, clothing to the naked, hope to the hopeless, and they're doing it all in Jesus' name. And that's you folks, you know. I, I'm so encouraged by the incredible Advent Conspiracy offering that we've received over the last couple of weeks. We had a goal of raising $85,000, not for our churches, but just to give away beyond our church. And so far, over $120,000 has come in. And that's going to serve local needs here in the Phantom Lake community. And it's going to be distributed through Phantom Lake Elementary School and Jubilee Reach. And it's going to help people in need in our own community. Uh, it's also going to help uh, promote clean water in Kenya or in Africa through World Vision. It's also going to help uh, support the ministry in Kenya for a, a bunch of boys who were homeless, street boys, who now have a home and are experiencing redemptive community partly through the support of our church. It's going to help support the efforts of International Justice Mission as they combat human slavery in Cambodia. And so we're, we're kind of doing this. This is the colors of hope. We're, we're like messengers bringing the message of God, not just through our words, but through our actions. And we are like painters painting on this canvas the colors of hope. Here's what Richard Dahlstrom says. As we bring clothing to the naked, hope to the homeless, all in Jesus' name, then we are painting the colors of hope so lavishly, so vividly, so faithfully. And it's awesome. And it's got to go beyond just Advent conspiracy. It's got to be our calling now to be the messengers of hope, of God's hope, to a world that is often in despair, often cynical, sometimes violent and hostile. And we're the messengers of hope. We receive the hope of Jesus. And then we're bringing it. We're bringing it to this world. I am very hopeful. I'm very encouraged about 2018. But it's not because of the change of the date on the calendar. It's not because of the New Year's celebrations tonight and tomorrow. I'm very hopeful because I know God's Spirit is on the move. And God's Spirit is filling God's people and moving us beyond ourselves. When we learn that it's not just about being called a Christian or not even just about attending church, although obviously I believe in that, it's really about learning to live life with Christ at the center and experiencing transformation as Jesus lives his life in us 
and through us. And then he uses us to touch a world that's often hurting and sometimes lonely and much afraid and needing the peace of God and needing to know the joy of the Lord as our strength and needing to know the compassion of Jesus and needing to see people who are not just about themselves but who really care about justice and people who are willing to be courageous in sharing the good news of Jesus. May we be among them. May we have a great year together in 2018. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that despite uh, so much bad news around us, we can be people of hope because of you, Lord, all because of you. Thank you that you've come for us, that you have come to us. Thank you that you are for us and you are with us and you, Lord, are renewing us day by day as we draw near to you. And Lord, would you use us as messengers of hope, as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth, as those who bring good news. We pray this gratefully, thankfully, in Jesus' name.